Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. And welcome to Dear Hank and John. Is that the count from Sesame Street? I prefer to think of our podcast as Dear John and Hank, by the way. It's a podcast full of comedy and talking about death in which we answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Hey, John, you're my brother. How you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, Missy Elliott has released a new single. Beyonce is pregnant with twins. The world is full of hope. I don't know what you're talking about, that things are dark. Everything's great. Beyonce's having two kids at once. That's wonderful. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's really exciting. Um, I love I, being able to break news to you. Just wait till we get to the news from AFC Wimbledon, Hank. Unless you're a hardcore fo- follower of AFC Wimbledon, you probably haven't heard it. I, I very, very likely have not heard it. In fact, I haven't even heard the news from Mars today. I'm going to have to try and pull some out really last minute here. I apologize for not being great at podcasting. That's all right. Uh, we've come to expect it. No, I'm just kidding. You're way better than I am. Um, I, uh, I am good. I'm good. You know, the other day, John, I uh, a car broke down on the side of the road, and I was helping them push it out of the road. And uh, and the person was like, I- "I'll be honest with you, I just ran out of gas." And they were driving a Volvo 240, and I wow. was like, "You know, I've I've run out of gas in that very car." I remember when you ran out of gas in that very car uh, because. I remember mom coming home after like picking you up mm-hmm. and she was in tears because of how gothy you looked. Uh, was I mean, was that it? Was that why I would love to talk to her about it now cuz she was so mad and I I think maybe maybe it's because I ran out of gas and was being irresponsible. That's possible. But maybe it was also because I had a bunch of makeup on. I don't know. I don't know. Would you like a poem for today, Hank? Yeah, hit me with a poem, John. All right. It's appropriately short. Uh, this is actually a recommendation from uh, Julian, longtime nerdfighter, uh, nerdfighter for 10 years now, actually, uh, who recommended this poem by Aisha Syed. Uh, it's called Broken English, and it's by the daughter of a refugee. When my mother struggles to spell a word in English... I want to break the entire language into little pieces so the edges of these letters will stop cutting her. Pretty good. That's a nice short poem. It's pretty good. That is a short poem uh, for the moments we are living in. Um, Life is hard and also has good things. Let's try and have a little bit peppier, dear Hank and John, today than last time. I mean, right now we're pretty low energy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to quote the uh, current president of the United States, low energy exclamation point. Oh. Uh, <laughs> okay, I found my Mars news. It's excellent. Excellent news. Hooray. Um, let's, uh, let's... <laughs> Thanks for preparing. <laughs> let's, uh, let's do some questions, John. I've, I've got a really pressing one that I, I really want to hit. Uh, it's from Jay, and I want to make sure we get to it, so I'm going to start with it. Uh, Jay asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm very overwhelmed by the variety of spoons for sale. Would you please rank the top ten types of spoons every aspiring gentleman should own? Jay. Uh, sure, yeah, of course. Uh, 
I don't actually have 10 types of spoons. I only have six types of spoons. How many types of spoons do you have? Oh, did you, did you count? Did you go count? I, well, hey, um, unlike I, some I mean, people, depends, I prepare for this podcast. It, it depends on your definition of a type of spoon. I definitely have more than 10 spoons, and, and like they all are different from one another in varying ways. Some of them just have like different manufacturing defects and scratches from years of use. Uh, but are but are otherwise very similar, and some are in made of entirely different things and very much different sizes. So it's it's hard. Wait, Hank, do you just you don't have like a you know a system of cutlery where it's all the same shape and everything, and you got all the cutlery for your from your, from your wedding like normal people? I think you did because I actually bought you some of it. No, yeah, I I I do for the the like the main ones, like my knives and forks and spoons. Right, but. What is a type? Uh, like two spoons, even if they are from the same set, they're going to be slightly different from each other. And so are they? No, the they're not. There's You don't need... You, no, no. He's asking about types of spoons, okay? Like how many types of spoons do you need? And the answer is six. You need a regular spoon for everyday spoon use. You need the larger version of the regular spoon for when you are especially hungry, especially with ice cream. You need a soup spoon, which is more of a circular spoon, oh. like Harry Potter's glasses oh, kind of spoon. Now, strictly speaking, you only need the first two types of spoons, but you can get that, that circular spoon, a nice soup spoon. I actually find that eating soup with a soup spoon is harder than eating soup with a regular spoon. But, yes. you know, if you're going to uh-huh. be particular about it, there is a soup spoon. Then you got your fourth type of spoon, which is your your teaspoon, you know, for when you're... Uh, oh, man. You know, just when you're teaspooning. And then you have your tablespoon uh, for when you don't want to count up like four teaspoons or whatever <laughs> is in a tablespoon. And then the sixth type of spoon you need is you need a spoon for your children because children, for whatever reason, cannot use any of the previous five <laughs> spoons. They are super hardcore about needing their own spoons for their own little hands with a little mini versions of spoons. So you need six spoons. You, there's no need for ten spoons. That's that's It's incredible to even think about John, that. John, you've completely... You've- You've completely left out an entire category of spoons, which is spoons used for cooking. You need a you need a ladle, which is a kind of like a type of spoon. You need a regular large serving spoon, possibly more than one large serving spoon, so that you can when when you are like having people at the table, you can put the serving spoon in, so they don't have to like very slowly one little spoonful at a time put the food on their plate. And then you need a slotted spoon for I don't know something. There's a reason to have a slotted spoon, and then if you have nonstick plates, you also because you uh, or or nonstick pans, you can't use those metal spoons in that because you'll scrape off right. the nonstick, which is bad. So you need wooden or plastic spoons in addition to that. So we are we are above ten now. You're right. You do 10. need ten spoons if you count all the cooking spoons. So there you go, Jay. I mean, people have often said that this podcast is completely useless and a waste of their time, but now you know the ten spoons you need to acquire to have a successful adult life. Really, I would say you could get by with two spoons. Uh, One large spoon for your pots (laughs) and serving and one regular spoon for literally everything else. Although it is nice to have a teaspoon and a tablespoon because there's a lot of baking. It's hard to make cookies if you don't, if you can't tablespoon. Hank, I have a question. It comes from Christine who writes, Dear John and Hank, why does every boy I kiss kiss like a fish, opening and closing his mouth while kissing me so that I can't get my tongue in his mouth? Have I learned it wrong? (laughs) I know in movies they kiss like this, but when I was a teenager, I read this book about how to do stuff as a teen girl, and it said you should just let your tongue play with their tongue. How do boys learn to kiss anyway if they don't have teenage girl books or magazines? (laughs) Note, this didn't happen with the only girl I kissed, making that the best kiss I've ever had. Love from the land of bitterballin'. Christine. I feel unqualified to answer this question. But I do remember when I was young that there was a lot of like quick opening and closing of the mouth like a struggling afraid fish. And I do remember thinking like this doesn't seem right even though it is what I've seen on TV but it seems wrong. And I think, in retrospect, it, it probably was wrong. Is it not just excitement? It's just like, ah, la, 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 la. Like, I know how to eat. Is it like eating? I, I, it, Try uh, eating on your on this person's well, face. My own experience with kissing is that it's not very much like eating. No, it's, well, I mean, if it's like a smoothie, maybe. It's like eating a smoothie. Oh, <laughs> oh God. 
Just yeah, uh, you gotta, that's what I, you, that's what they should say in the boy books. Okay, boys, just pretend like you're like you're really enjoying some blended up beef stew. <laughs> that's what a kiss is. Do that. Oh, I mean, all I can say, Christine, is that it's important to communicate with your partner and maybe be like, hey, I, I know that you think that the best way to do this is to um, be a be a, a fish out of water. But my preferred way is to just be like two uh, little eels interacting with each other. I don't know, Christine. I mean, I guess... I, 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 we, I don't want to, I don't, we got to move on. We've got to move on. We, uh, and I'll say different people kiss different ways and it's not, uh, it's not totally down to gender. Uh, so you, 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 you might end up finding, uh, different boys kiss different ways, even if the ones you've kissed so far are a certain way. I've got a question from Michelle and I really want to ask it because this is going to lead me to talk about some stuff that I've been wanting to talk about for a while. Dear Hank and John, the other day I began having a crisis about the classification of belly buttons. Do belly buttons count as scars? I mean, they're basically closed holes. Isn't that what a scar is? Do scars have to be unique to a person and or uh, be the product of some sort of injury? Please help solve my dilemma as it's keeping me up at night. Best wishes, Michelle. Mostly I want to talk about this question because I want to talk about belly buttons because I have a baby now and the belly button thing happened and I didn't really understand how belly buttons happen. And wow, wow, that's weird. Yeah. How did belly buttons happen? Yeah. What, what, placental mammals are so strange. Whoa. Whoa. I did not understand how belly buttons worked, John. Oh, yeah. No, anyone with a child can tell you that belly buttons are definitely scars. Yeah. Also, yes. Also, it's not. So I just I pictured that, like, you had the baby and then they cut the cord and then they and then like at a, like a relatively like recent uh, relatively like close to that point moment they just pull the cord off or something but that's not what happens they cut the cord close to the belly button and then it just sits there for like weeks this like weird keratinous scab on the, the your child's belly and you have to like work around it and like it cut, doesn't smell good it like it's no it's we it's like got a real funky scent and and sometimes it gets bad and then like it gets infected and it smells really bad and you have to take them to the doctor but that didn't happen and so they're like they're like if it smells funky that's okay but if it smells bad and I'm like I don't know what's the difference between funky and bad it smells pretty bad but apparently if it smells bad you know you know it smells bad but anyway that doesn't seem right and then it slowly starts to peel off and it's like it's like a fingernail like it's like connective tissue that's been dried out it is so freaking weird it is weird and i love my son very much and i like and like fi- like it's beautiful and like magic magical but weird and yes it is a scar and it has like a like a one of a kind scab that happens and i just wanted everybody to know that because nobody told me before i i experienced it myself i'm okay though john i might seem like i'm not okay but i'm okay you seem to be processing some pretty deep stuff right now. I'm all right. But also just like all... So here's the thing. Like, I get how milk happened. It's just like a... It's another way of sweating, basically. It's like you sweat more with more oils and proteins and stuff. And, and like, like, like the, like, like uh, platypi, platypi, platypuses, they, they like, instead of having nipples, they just have like areas of their body that sweat milk. And so I could see that. I could see how that could evolve. But like belly buttons and placentas and like where, how, that's that's real weird that that happened at all. And, and I understand why it's way better. Like it's a way better way to make a mammal than like like marsupials are kind of like the intermediate stage. And I like get why placental is better. But man, I uh, I was hmm, I. It made me it made me think harder about placental mammals and like what a remarkable thing we are. Uh, but I, I want to know more about the evolutionary development of, of the placenta now. Well, I think um, 
That's a good bit of homework for you, Hank. I want you to come back next week having prepared your Mars news in <laughs> advance and also with um, more information about placental mammals. Okay, I'm on it. We're all trying to reach harder uh, into a brighter future, and that is going to be your contribution. Hank, uh, this question comes from Joshua, who writes, Dear John and Hank, my last name is a problem. It was probably Woland originally, but after my ancestors came to America, it was changed to Woolly Hand. <laughs> Woolly Hand is not a great last name, especially since my family has quite small, hairless, entirely unwoolly hands. And since we changed it from our original actual surname, the new one has no meaning. I was wondering if you could make a more badass meaning and history for my family name than the real it used to be Woland and then changed when we ventured to America. Mm. Best Joshua. Ryan Woolly Hand. First off, <laughs> at least you've got the best middle name possible. And secondly, I think that it is. I think that's. I think that's cool. I, I mean, I like as long as you can move past it and be like, "This is weird. This is a weird thing that I got. That's part of me." I think it's. I think it's good to have weirdnesses. No, he's not. He's not looking to change the weirdness. He's looking for an opportunity to have a better backstory. And I think that that's easy. I think you say like my great grandparents had extremely woolly hands, like not like hairy <laughs> hands. Their hands were literally made out of wool. My, my great grandparents were wool workers who had a magical encounter with wool that resulted in them having hands made of sheep's wool. And then you just people people won't ask any questions after that. I promise. No, uh, maybe, maybe uh, his his great grandparents were in an accident uh they were they were uh they were in uh, the the arctic and they were digging uh for yep. gold and they came across yep. a, a a fully frozen uh woolly mammoth and correct and uh and then there was but also there was a bunch of weird raw plutonium that probably came from mm -hmm. a spaceship and it mutated their hands yep. not into woolly hands but into woolly mammoth hands and so they had like woolly mammoth hooves for hands and then their friends were, were called them woolly hands uh and then that that stuck but it wasn't genetic. It didn't like stick around. So like it wasn't everybody, but they, those, the two of them did. Yes. It's like both the worst superhero you could possibly be and the worst <laughs> yeah. possible superhero origin story. <laughs> like what's your superpower? Bad. Oh, pretty bad one. as you can see, I have miniature woolly mammoths for hands. And is that useful? <laughs> Not particularly. I'm certainly very jealous of my friend Wolverine. <laughs> I do have tusks, but they're not like adamantium tusks, and I can't like pick things up, so <laughs> that's a bit of a drawback. I I I thought they were gonna was, I thought it was gonna be like a horse with human hands, except it was a, a person with, with woolly mammoth hands. Uh like it just had hooves, but you went to like their hands are woolly mammoths, which I like. I like that better. All right, Hank, let's move on to another question. All right. This one is from Megan who asks, Dear Hank and John, me and my friends often throw around obscure questions that will never be useful. I love you and your friends already, Megan. Recently my friend asked what would happen if Earth lost gravity for fifteen seconds before getting it back. I had absolutely no idea. Obviously things would start flying around, but that would but what about things fastened to the ground, like trees and concrete? Would they move at all? Would uh, we go straight up or just sort of float around? Would the rotation of the Earth make it seem like we were traveling diagonally away from the ground? I hope that you can provide some insight. I'm a big fan of the pod. That's interesting. I think that maybe, it, maybe if you were at the equator, it would affect you more. You would sort of float away from the ground a little bit. Well, and if you have 15 seconds of floating away from the ground, when the gravity does return, it could be a pretty significant impact. I don't think that, no, I don't think so. I don't think that you would rise that far enough off the ground for it to be a big deal in 15 seconds, but I could be wrong. What if I happen to be like jumping to rebound a basketball in the moment that, that gravity was erased? Yeah, that, that could be a bigger problem for you. 15 seconds of like the speed you're going at the moment you jump could be enough to break a leg, uh, especially if you were at the equator and had the extra effect of, of that. But I'd have to do math, man. And I, as I said earlier, I did not prepare for this podcast as I previously have uh, by doing... Wouldn't... Wait, 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 wait. Good science. Wouldn't, wouldn't uh, not having gravity be a big problem in re the Earth's rotation? Like, wouldn't the Earth 
continue to wrote like uh, i mean is gravity not existing in the entire universe or only right right on mm. earth i guess is mm-hmm. the first question yeah well I, I mean if it's if it was the entire earth we would float a little bit away from the sun for a bit um but then then it would just like we just have a slightly lar- larger orbit i don't think that it would break the earth i'm a little worried about what would happen to the atmosphere Mm-hmm. Um, we might lose a, a fair, like like a bit of the atmosphere in mm-hmm. that moment. It would, might get far far enough away that it would then be blown away by the cosmic winds uh, from the sun. But I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know how much. I mean, I think like it seems to me like this this is a question that requires basically a short book to answer, uh, like a, like a good XKCD uh, what if exploration. And mm-hmm. I like I think that it. I think we might be surprised by, like, for example, if you were close to the Arctic, you like would float away much less than if you were close to the equator. And so, like, it might be that people on the equator actually get much more seriously hurt than people who are closer to, uh, closer to the poles. And that would that's that's an interesting effect. Um, and I'm pretty sure that would I'm pretty, but I don't I don't think that it would be a huge effect. It might it might be like like so minuscule that you would barely even notice. So the short answer is that Hank doesn't know, but he's willing to hazard Correct. a guess because that's kind of that that's sort of how we both built our careers. <laughs> we have a new question. Uh, this one comes from Dahlia, <laughs> who writes, "Dear John and Hank, as a conservative who's followed much of your content for several years, uh, you might even call me a nerd fighter. It concerns me that so much of your audience is not being exposed to conservative or non-liberal ideas. It's very easy to create a bubble around oneself on the internet so that you only see political ideas that align with yours." One of the reasons I watch your channel and listen to your podcast is so I can understand the beliefs of many liberals. In doing this, I've come to the conclusion that Nerdfighteria is very much an echo chamber of leftism, as you're both liberal. I'm I'm really, really not. Uh, but I mean, I guess I, I, yeah, I I guess as the Republican Party has moved, in my opinion, a lot to the right in the last 12 to 15 years, uh, maybe I have... I feel like I've stayed the same. Anyway, uh, your comment sections are dominated by those with liberal views as well, and it seems like your podcast guests tend to align with your ideologies too. Although diverse in terms of race, sexuality, and nationality, Nerdfighteria seems to lack the most important kind of diversity, diversity of ideas. Does that concern you? Well, it's interesting that that that's the that's the most in, important type of diversity i mean I, I think that part of having diversity of age and diversity of uh gender and uh where you're from like that results in a diversity of ideas i i i hope um and uh i also i like, i honestly don't know what to do about that like it, 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 i believe these things i think that it is important that we recognize that global warming exists and deal with it because i think that it's going to be a huge challenge that we faced in the next 50 100 years i like i am certain that we need to respect the rights of people who uh you know like are in love with people of their same sex like 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 there's no reason why you shouldn't be allowed to get married because you happen to love someone who has the same sex organs as you like i i just i believe these things and i i'm and i'm pretty dang sure i'm right so I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do about that. Right. I mean, I I work really hard to listen to voices that I disagree with in my like in my life and in my reading and in uh, what I look at. But I I think one of the challenges is that it's really really hard right now to empathize across the aisle because I think a lot of people feel like. Uh, especially the, you know, putting aside, putting aside the specific issues, the approach to the issues uh, that's being seen in the Trump administration is worrying to a lot of people. And it's really, really hard to take the responses to that seriously, like the executive order on uh, immigration and refugees, for instance, it's just not, it's just not a good 
document. Like it's not well written. It's self-contradictory. It wasn't. It it wasn't, in, and in some cases, still isn't clear what the law now is. Uh, it does appear that in at least two places, the executive order violated existing law, which isn't possible. Mm-hmm. Like which isn't supposed to be possible, and is only possible because the government. Uh, the parts of the government that are supposed to review that law didn't have a chance to review it before it was released. And so it's just, I, I, I am the answer to your question, Dahlia, is that I am deeply concerned that Nerdfighteria is an echo chamber and that the entire social internet is an echo chamber and that nothing that gets said on the social internet does anything to change anyone's views because everyone has already decided what they believe in an incontrovertible way. I am very concerned about that in my own life and I'm very concerned about it in Nerdfighteria and I'm very concerned about it on the internet in general. Um, But I also agree with Hank that uh, I'm I'm sure that global warming exists, and I'm sure that it's one of the biggest challenges faced by the world. And I'm sure that if we pull out of the Paris Climate Accord, it's a catastrophe for the world. Uh, and and I, I don't know what to do about the fact that I'm sure about those things. But I'm I'm yeah I mean I'm sure that I'm right, I, and that's I what think that makes it hard right now. What I have tried to do is make it about the things that I believe and care about, but not about the people who oppose me. And so I don't want to make content that's like, here is what the idiots on the other side are saying. Aren't they idiots? And I don't think we do that. Right. I, I try not to do that. I, I do it sometimes on Twitter, but I don't. I try not to do it on Vlogbrothers. Yeah, me too. I try not to do it outside of Twitter, yeah. but and I hate that I do and, it on Twitter. And but so I, do I uh, like that. That is that is a way that. Like it's not. I understand that it's not a diversity of ideas, but hopefully it's not exclusionary to the ideas, because it's not like I'm. It, it, like I think that it's so easy to take the most extreme voice and say, "Look at what the other side is saying. They're literal Nazis," and like some of them are, but most of them aren't, and and so that that really tears everything apart, and 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 it makes it impossible to have useful conversations um and and it makes it impossible to to like it it makes it worryingly difficult to have a country together um yeah especially because like like uh, like once you have sort of an ideology put in place like if all you ever hear is the most extreme stories from the other side then it does seem like you're fighting a battle against evil and hopefully, like, I don't want to feel like I'm fighting a battle against evil. I want to feel like I'm having a argument about how to correctly proceed uh, and and make the world better for the most possible people. Um, though, also, I think there's... there's Well, but not everybody agrees yeah. that that kind of utilitarianism is even the right. goal. I mean, I, I think it's... It, what I find interesting is that I'm able to have co- most of my closest friends in real life are, I, I guess, would probably be considered conservatives or most most often vote for Republican candidates for state and national office. And I'm able to talk to them about politics a lot. Mm-hmm. It's been hard the last five months, six months, but it's not, it hasn't been impossible uh, for the vast majority of that, of that time, even though like, uh, you know, I think the Republican Party has changed a lot in very disturbing ways in the last 15 years. Um, Now, like, look, there's, you know, there's always been, there's always been problems with both political parties in the US. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make it sound one way or the other. But point being, I'm able to have those conversations in real life. I'm able to like seek common ground and find it and and at least have and figure out what we disagree about and understand what we disagree about and not think that the other person is evil or an idiot. And I really do struggle with that online. And I really, I, I feel like a lot of times online, the way people talk to people, and I, I don't exclude myself from this, uh, imagines that those you disagree with are idiots. And, and I, I do think a lot of times like, I I really believe that in the Republican Party right now, there are a lot of people who are saying that certain people do not deserve the full rights of equal protection under the law. I think that's what voting the voting restrictions amount to. I think that's what the refuge, the refugee and immigration ban amounts to, especially uh, when it seemed until 
you know, late in the game that it was going to be applied to uh, legal permanent residents of the United States. I think, and like, those are big, big problems to me because I think equal protection under the law is the mm-hmm. foundational idea of American democracy. So it, it's really hard to have a calm conversation about that because it scares the crap out of me. And because I also feel like I have to stick up for the people who are being systematically disenfranchised in this conversation. Yeah. Anyway, we don't know. And also, I really quickly want to note one other thing, um, which is that while answering this question, Dahlia, I changed your name to Delia. And that was uh, uh, my bad. I'm sorry. As if things weren't bad enough. I did. I went and did that. <laughs> but thank you for listening to this podcast. And thank you also for, um, you know, for trying to uh, keep the lines of communication open because I, th- it has never been harder than right. it is now. And we really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And we want to try to do the same. Yeah. And, and I apologize for the moments in which we dehumanize people who disagree with us. Um, it's too easy these days. And, uh, and, I want to endeavor to try to not do that as much. This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blueland products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blueland is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blueland has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. This question is from Fletcher, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm trans and I'm about to embark upon the legal process of changing my name. I've already decided on Fletcher as my first name, but I'm feeling conflicted when it comes to my middle name. On one hand, my father was called James, and I know it would make him happy to choose it. He put so much effort into choosing my birth name, which I now am no longer responding to. What's more, I quite like the name James, so I it wouldn't uh, be forcing myself so I wouldn't be forcing myself to have a middle name that I despise for all eternity. On the other hand, the name Balthazar is cool as heck, and it would my, make my initials FBI. I would like your inputs on whether I should choose a normal, sentimental name or a cool name that would be a talking point. Best wishes, Fletcher, uh, or possibly B- Fletcher Balthazar or Fletcher James. Yeah, I mean, I think the solution here is pretty obvious, Hank. Do you want to just say it on three or... Do you want to I try mean, to hash this one out? I, I, may, I may deeply disagree with you on this one, John. But you go. Let's do it on three. Okay. One, two, three. James. <laughs> I don't know what was I thinking. Of course, Ryan. I mean, look, Fletcher, <laughs> no, I, uh, it's obviously <laughs> Ryan. There's only one way forward here. You're in a moment of uncertainty. John. That's the kind of moment that only Ryan can solve. <laughs> <laughs> I do like I do like uh, this thought process, and I'm I, uh, I'm glad you're thinking of it and, and trying to be inclusive. Um, <laughs> I do a little bit think Balthazar might be a mistake. I, yeah, I mean, I like I I really like I I love names that honor important family members, but 
Uh, I love the name Ryan even more. What a terrible mistake, Hank. We both made naming our children something other than Ryan. I know. I could have two kids what, named what Ryan. And how cool would that be? It would be like, hey, my name is Ryan. This is my sister, Ryan. Or my name is Ryan. This is my brother, Ryan, which Alice would never say. All she would actually say is, uh, my name is Ryan. Give me water. Where's my water? <laughs> Daddy, I like ice in it. <laughs> She's getting a little, little bit demandy. She's three, but yeah, she's a little bit demandy. Mm. The other day, the other day, she said, "Daddy, daddy, daddy." She, that's how she says, "Daddy." Yep, daddy. I want ice in it, and I was like, "Alice, there's ice. There is ice. Look at the like. You can literally see, daddy. I want it all ice." <laughs> and I was like, "No, you don't. You can't drink it if it's all ice." Uh, this podcast is brought to you by All Ice. All ice, the delicious refreshment of the future. <laughs> Only Alice Green truly understands the nature of the wonderful beverage that is all ice. You know what I just realized? All ice is very, very similar to Alice's actual name. <laughs> it's true. It's true. In a way, I kind of did so name her all ice, so maybe I shouldn't complain. Today's <laughs> podcast is also brought to you by people who kiss like dying fish. Ah. People who kiss like dying fish. Not recommended? And also, this podcast is brought to you by All Ten Types of Spoons. All Ten Types of Spoons Necessary for the Life of a True Gentleman. <laughs> and lastly, this podcast is brought to you by Gravity. Gravity, uh, you know, I think we could live without it for 15 seconds. You think? Well, uh, I mean, I, I, the thing is, like, Hank and I both know an equal amount about that question, which is nothing, but Hank... <laughs> is able to talk as if he does know something about it. So it's true. Uh, it's true. I, I just typed in 15 seconds without gravity into Google and I didn't find anything useful. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that's good. What I, actually, that's probably good news. Yeah. What I do want to say is just, uh, just in general, be very careful about when you jump because you never know when gravity is going to turn off and you're just going to go flying away. That wouldn't be a bad way to go in the scheme of things. Hank, uh, this question comes from an anonymous short spouse. I'm not sure why this person didn't want to be, uh, identified, but they didn't and we'll respect that. So <laughs> hello, green brothers. My husband's birthday is coming up and he is also tall. We like a lot of the shirts on DFTBA.com, but they are not made for tall people. How do you get tall person shirts? Can I buy tall person shirts from you? Best wishes, short spouse. So first off, I'm 6'1", and those shirts fit me fantastically. In fact, I I, I only wear shirts from DFTBA.com, your number one source for shirts on the internet. I mean, I'm wearing one right now. I, I wear them all the time, and, uh, and I also am one inch taller than John, and am also 6'1". Uh, so I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, you always say that. Yeah, that, that, I, I have to stop you right there. And I, I do not like to stop you in the middle of a commercial for DFTBA.com, your number one source for internet uh, merchandise. But I have to stop you right there because I, you've gotten into my head so much about this, you being one inch taller than me and you being six one thing that like I've started to think that maybe I'm only six feet tall. And so I went to get when I was doing all the stuff for 100 days, like I had to get a cardiac stress test and get weighed and, and get my height done and everything. And like all these EKGs and whatnot, I, th they, they measured my height and they said I was like six one or like one quarter inch less than six one. So I think that either we are the same height <laughs> and you are just creating some kind of like visual thing that makes you look an inch taller than me. Like you've just like made like you're like gaslighting me just... about what I'm actually seeing. <laughs> Or alternately, um, you are actually, you've been 6'2 this whole time. <laughs> oh my God, it's crazy to think that I might be 6'2. That sounds so tall to me. Well, That's anyway, weird. point being, if sounds you are 6'2, the shirts still fit. They do fit me and I'm 6'2. But if, I mean, if he's like 6'8, I understand that that might, like, that might cause like midriff problems. Um, yeah, but that's the solution. You've actually just answered the question. Right. Just go with the midriff. Yeah. Your husband needs to bear his midriff to the world. Like, he faces a stark choice. Don't <laughs> wear DFTBA.com t-shirts or rock the bear midriff. And I think 
you know, option B is overwhelmingly the best choice. You know, John, I've been w- working with a lot of onesies these days. Um, and yeah. the, there's, there's a nice thing about about wearing a onesie. So like the onesie, a baby onesie, it can be like a long sleeve shirt and then it wraps around under the diaper and buttons. And, uh, and then you can put pants on over that. So the legs are still totally out. Uh, and it's just like this little thing that buttons under the crotch and the legs are out and then you put pants on, but then like the shirt never comes untucked because it's connected. Like it's, it's around. Like, why isn't that an adult thing? What, like, can't I have like a nice button down shirt that then like wraps around underneath my underwear area and then like in some way fastens so that it never has any chance of ever coming, like never getting loosened and jostled out of, of my tuck? Of my pants tuck? Uh, I don't know whether to treat your question seriously. Why not? But I will say that I think the history of fashion is fascinating. Um, But if you're being serious, it's because it takes too long to pee. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're right. I hadn't thought of that. And when you're a tiny baby child, you have somebody who changes your diapers for you. And so it doesn't matter that you're wearing a onesie. (laughs) Right. Okay. In fact, the exact moment at which children stop wearing onesies, in my experience, is when they stop wearing diapers at ah, night. Ah, interesting. Okay. I'm in. I'm I feel in. like I'm just like, I, I feel like I'm just ahead of you on this one particular <laughs> curve. Like, you're smarter than me in almost everything. <laughs> but I know just a little bit more about uh, children. Oh, than well, that's, do. yes, definitely that is the case. I've got another question, John. It's really important. I want to make sure we get to it before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. It's from Jillian, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I just bought a new jigsaw puzzle. When I opened the box, some of the pieces were already put together. Mm. Am I morally obliged to break up the pieces and start from scratch? Is it cheating if I don't? Can you cheat on a jigsaw puzzle if you're the only one puzzling? Advice on this pressing issue would be greatly appreciated. Kind regards, Jillian. Jillian, the only person you're cheating is yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what this makes you're me... You're going to be cheating yourself out of the opportunity to build that entire jigsaw puzzle from scratch. Or... There is a person, this is true, at the Jigsaw Puzzle Factory, who takes the Jigsaw Puzzle that has been printed out on a piece of cardboard and stamped with that Jigsaw Puzzle stamp, breaking it into a bunch of pieces, who then takes that, breaks it all up very carefully as to make sure to not lose any pieces, and puts it in a bag, and then puts that bag in a box. And that person, sometimes, they leave a few pieces put together. And there maybe that person is thinking to themselves, ah, I've done a little favor for my friend, the purchaser of my jigsaw puzzle, so that they will not have to put together all of the, they'll see this, these three pieces, these five pieces maybe that were left together. I did that for them so that they would have a good starting point. Maybe. I like it. Maybe. I love it. I love it. I agree. Maybe. You should let them be uh, because of the person and or machine that uh, did that for you. <laughs> I, do, I actually have no idea if it's a machine or a person, and I would like to know. I mean, I'm going to bet at this point it's a machine. There's only about four jobs that have not been automated yet, Hank. Um, real quickly, we need to get to some corrections. We had some some really important corrections from last week's pod. Uh, ben wrote in, for instance, to say, uh, respectfully, uh, in a recent podcast, Hank stated, uh, you can't see Mars from Mars, uh, but to quote Les Miserables, look down. That is good. It's real good. And I, I did have that same... I, I saw that correction and was like, yes, very good. I love it. Uh, uh, ben also wanted... Uh, said, P.S., feel free to shout out my amazing girlfriend, Jazz. I don't know All if right. that's the same Jazz, who's Jazz Sinclair, who played Angela in the Paper Towns movie, but it's spelled the same way. So maybe... I, I hope so. If it is... You're just assuming. Jazz, you're awesome. If it isn't, I'm sure you're also awesome, Jazz. Second correction, real quickly, from Anissa. She wrote in to say, Dear John and Hank, I am a former space physics major. While I completely understand your desire to study the physics of space, that is not actually the topic which space physics refers to. Space physics is has more to do with atmospheric physics and satellite stuff. The type of physics oh. that you are probably thinking of is astronomy and astrophysics. Satellites, not spaceships. Anissa, current comp- computational mathematics major. I mean, Anissa, I'm going to level with you. I did not understand any of the words in that correction, but I I did my best to read them in order uh, so that we could be technically correct. It's corrected now. 
And I'll be honest with you, I was watching a How It's Made video on puzzles and can confirm that it is the machine who has done you the favor, not a human being. I'll put the link to this uh, video in the Patreon description of the video. Uh, boy, that was definitely done by a machine. Yeah, I kind of figured. Um, <laughs> Hank, what's the news from Mars that you looked up 12 minutes ago? Uh, let me try and find the tab. All right, I'll just tell you the news from AFC Wimbledon. Hank, so this is a little confusing, but in soccer in England, you can only sign new players during certain periods. There's the summer transfer window, which ends on August 31st, and then there's the January transfer window, which ends on January 31st. Uh, and AFC Wimbledon traditionally don't do a lot of business Um in the January transfer window, because that's kind of, it's sort of for like richer clubs. Uh, plus AFC Wimbledon is in the the middle of the table and it's not clear, you know, what, what they have to, uh, to fight for at this point, you know, I mean, obviously uh, the job is to stay up um, and uh, it looks likely that they will stay up. Although actually they're down in 13th now. So maybe, maybe there's still a little bit of work to do. Only 10 points clear of the drop point being on the transfer deadline day, AFC Wimbledon did sign a new player, a 30-year-old player named Tom Soares, Sor Sores. I don't, nobody knows how to pronounce his name. It's like Gillingham. But the point is, uh, he is now playing for AFC Wimbledon. And Neil Ardley, uh, the beloved manager of AFC Wimbledon, said the following about him. Tom is very powerful, has good aerial ability, and I think he is in his prime now. And I just wanted to say, um, that is what I would like um, to be known for. I wish that someone would say that sentence about mm. me. John is very powerful, has good aerial ability, and I think he is in his prime now. I just want someone to say that I'm in my prime now. Anyway, congratulations, Tom, on becoming a member of AFC Wimbledon uh, and leaving your former club, Barry, or possibly Burry. Uh, nobody knows how to say uh, town names in England. Okay, Hank, what's the news from Mars? Well, first I want to say uh, you got to be careful about that aerial ability, John, because you never know when gravity is going to turn off. But additionally, let's just uh, let's say that Mark Kelly, you know who Mark Kelly is, right, John? Uh, astronaut. Yeah, good job. The astronaut that spent a year in space, twin brother Scott Kelly, so that they could have like a twin experiment with space stuff. Mark Kelly has released a uh, an, an, a a editorial talking about why he would he says that we should get to Mars the United States needs to have people on Mars by 2033 for the good of the nation. Now I have one big problem with this John. Yeah. It's 5 years too late. No, I think it's the perfect timing. Uh definitely 5 years too late. Uh and he gives he gives three main reasons for why we should get to Mars by 2033. Uh the first being uh I'm going to go in reverse order. Uh he says that the United States cannot lose its dominance in space. I don't know what that means, and I don't really feel like it's a great reason. I, who needs to dominate space? It's really big. It's a big old place, and I don't feel like anybody can dominate it. Um, really, it's almost all of the places. It is, it is the vast majority of places. Uh, but additionally, focusing really, on Earth it, is a vanishingly small portion of the universe. Yes, very, yes. It is the least of the places. Focusing on a Mars mission additionally would jumpstart our economy, which I do think would be the case. And I think we would learn a lot about our capabilities as a nation and uh, as a technical species by focusing on this. But lastly, uh, the just increasing chance that we are going to find alien life. And uh, Mars is the easiest place to find it. It might not be the most likely place to find it, probably one of the water moons of Jupiter or Saturn would be a more likely place to find it um, just because there's so much water. But uh, the, 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 it's easy, much easier to get to Mars, much easier to get to the watery parts if there are watery parts. And just what we could learn about the universe by discovering life for a second time. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that would be really, well, could, really cool. I mean, um, and I, I mean, is a manned mission to Mars the only way to get to discover life? N no, but it is so much easier. It's so much e like humans are so much more versatile and, and able to do things that robots can't do. Um, you know, Curiosity isn't even designed really to look for life. 
And additionally, like microscopic life is difficult to parse out what's alive and what isn't. Like they, like even viruses were kind of like, I don't know, does that count? Um, and and if it's very different from what life looks like on Earth, if it's not based on the same chemistry, if it's not based on like certainly if it isn't based on the same biology. Now it might be based on the same biology if life spread from Mars to Earth or from Earth to Mars. And that would also be a very interesting thing to discover that that's possible and the thing that happened. Um, but uh, but it could be based on entirely different biology, like different methods for storing genetic information or like no genetic information at all, or who knows? Who knows? It could be much more like th what life was on Earth when it first formed, which of course we don't even know what that was. Um, but but understanding the chemistry of that is going to be really difficult to get to the bottom of and is, it really makes it a lot easier to have people who are working in the field as it were yeah and i have to say hank i think that uh just getting all of our ducks in a row and just getting human capacity to the place where we need it to be and just there's i i, I think it makes great sense to just say 2033 that's the goal we're going to focus on that date. We're not going to consider any dates sooner than that. There might be delays. You never know. But we're going to plan for 2033. Maybe it'll be 2035, 2037. Maybe things will get done really fast. It'll be 2031. <laughs> Maybe it'll be 2029. You know, I, I would even if like if the pace of innovation, you know, suddenly <laughs> jump starts and we end up on Mars in 2029, I would say that wouldn't be such a bad outcome. Oh, God. Well. The important thing is that it's Dear Hank and John now, and it's going to be Dear Hank and John in 2027. And we're going to hold on to that for a, for at least 10 years, and I'm proud of that. Well, I mean, what do you mean you're proud of that? You you just, you named our podcast when we started because you were the person filling out the iTunes info. That's yeah. not, what, uh, what is there to be proud you, of? You know what else uh, I did, though, John? You what? know what else I did? I made a bet that required the outcome of the bet to not change until the bet date was reached, which means I have secured the podcast name at Dear Hank and John for 10 years, which is, if I do say so myself, a masterful piece of deal making. I mean, some people would say that uh, you should write a book called The Art of the Deal, uh, I mean, just on the topic of how to make sure that a podcast uh, has your name first for a whole decade. <laughs> I mean, I'm really something else, John, I gotta say. Uh, you are. You are. There's no question about that. Hank Green, colon, something else. <laughs> All right, John. What did we learn today? Uh, well, we learned that Hank doesn't actually know what would happen if uh, gravity stopped <laughs> on Earth for 15 seconds, but he pretended to, but I then eventually no he had to acknowledge that he didn't. Uh, yeah, which is, you know, really most of the conversations I have these days. Uh, we also learned that, shoot. <laughs> We also learned that if you have the opportunity to change your middle name, you should probably go with Ryan. It's hard to beat Ryan. It's hard to beat Ryan. We learned that belly buttons are definitely scars, and that when they start out, they smell a little bit funky, but not bad. You can tell the difference. You can definitely tell the difference, and if they smell bad, you should go see a doctor. And finally, finally we learned that the very worst superhero with the very worst origin story is Grandpa and Grandma Woolly Mammoth Hands. <laughs> Oh, Hank, thank you for potting with me. If you want to email us, please uh, email us your questions at hankandjohn at gmail.com. You can also use the hashtag DearHankAndJohn on Twitter, where I'm Hank Green. And nope, nope. <laughs> I'm not Hank Green. I'm, I'm John Green, and Hank is Hank Green. Oh, I'm having a crisis of self, Hank. Uh, Dear Hank and John is <laughs> produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our editor is Nicholas Jenkins. Victoria Bonjourner is our head of community and communications. Our music is by the great Gunnarola. Thank you again for listening. And as we say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to, to be, be awesome. awesome.